welcome to the Freed Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Heil, founding member of the Freed Fellowship and Freed Media. This is a podcast dedicated to bridging the gap between entrepreneur and entrepreneur. In this episode, you'll hear one Freed story from someone who made the jump from the corporate world to the vast unknown of entrepreneurship. We at Freed Media know that the road to entrepreneurship can be lonely, but it doesn't have to be. We hope that in sharing Freed stories, that you will gain some tangible tips on how to get freed yourself. It's our mission to provide support and community for those working their five to nine side hustles and jotting down their someday business plan. We're navigating the journey ourselves, and we'd love to take you along with us. Ready to get freed? Hello, everyone. We are back again with another fellow and their freed story. Today, I am joined by Nathan. Hello, Nathan. Hi, Jackie. Thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to dive into your journey. I know a little bit about your story, but could you let the audience know what you do and how you got started on this venture? Sure. So currently, uh, my current incarnation, uh, I am a digital marketer. I have a digital marketing agency that right now is mostly just me, uh, although I'm working to bring my brother on board so that we can start to grow a lot more in 2021. Uh, 2020 was a a year of change for me. Um, My background, I originally came from the public uh, sector. I spent, well, I was a Peace Corps volunteer after college. And then I lived in New York City for quite a while. I was a, I worked at UNICEF, um, started in operations, and then I had a chance to move over into a, a software uh, system, uh, doing business analysis and training around a software system called SAP. Uh, that was an interesting job and eventually had the opportunity to live and work in Thailand and Nepal through that job uh, and was able to travel around quite a lot in Asia. I got to see quite a bit of the world, uh, which was quite interesting. And um, But I always felt that I wanted something more in my career than just to spend all of it at one big uh, bureaucratic organization. And so I'd had that thought for a number of years, but you know, opportunity came up, opportunity came up. And, and so I, I stayed longer than I'd originally expected. Um, but about seven years ago, I let a contract expire and I decided to spread my wings out into the world and see what I could find. I didn't know what that was going to be. It was a, uh, it was difficult because I, I made good money at UNICEF. I had, you know, always had a job. Everybody that I know in my life has always been, you know, uh, nine to fivers or, or longer. My, my father worked uh, at GM as an auto worker. Um, my uncles were, you know, mostly auto workers. Um, I didn't have a lot of entrepreneurial uh, examples in my life. I didn't really know what that would look like or be like. And I wasn't even sure that that's what I was going to do uh, when I left. I, I kind of initially just thought I'll take a few months off. I have some severance pay. Uh, from UNICEF that I could live off of for a while and, you know, figure I'd travel and then see what happened. And along the way, I decided that since I really loved living abroad, but Asia was far, um, that if I could learn Spanish, then potentially I could open up some doors closer to home. So I, I started uh, randomly. I just kind of randomly picked uh, Nicaragua to learn Spanish and then uh, decided there that I would come to Medellin, Colombia. And I thought I picked it because I... I didn't want to go to Bogota because it's a big mega city and I'd already lived in New York City and Bangkok. Uh, I didn't want to go to Cartagena because it was too hot 
and mm-hmm. you know touristy and i wanted a place where i could actually learn spanish and, and medin came up you know it's the third biggest the second biggest city in colombia but the third in, in order of where tourists go but at the mm-hmm. time there were very few tourists here and the cost of living was good and when i came here i also found that the weather is great it's, mm-hmm. you know 75 to 80 degrees year round uh it's in the mountains it's uh you know really tremendous story to this the city um used to be one of the most dangerous places in the world and now it's been completely transformed through through some really interesting initiatives that the the city government has has undertaken over the past couple of decades. So I came here and I ended up staying. I thought I would stay for one month, maybe two. And <laughs> seven years later, I I am here. I have a, a Colombian wife, a daughter, and another one on the way. Um, and I also stayed partly because I met uh, two partners, another American and a Colombian. And together we decided to start a business. We started a hotel. Colombia is considered the second most biodiverse country on the planet because mm-hmm. it has 1% of the Earth's land surface, but 10% of the Earth's species. So there are more wow. bird species here than in their planet, more orchid species, second most number of uh, plant species, has the you know, the Pacific Ocean, the, the Caribbean has mountains, it has plains, it has desert, it has the Amazon. So it's just this really diverse uh, country. But because of its history of, of violence and unrest, most people haven't been able to come here to explore it until very recently. Mm-hmm. And there's not much outside of those big cities, Medellin, Bogota, and Cartagena, for tourists. And so we saw an opportunity to build a, an upscale lodge uh, near Medellin, in the mountains outside of Medellin, um, that would appeal to the type of tourists that we saw was coming in to the country more and more, um, less the backpacker, uh, uh, and unfortunately there's a lot of illicit tourism here, um, and more people who were professional families who wanted not only to see the city, but to see the countryside. So we started that project uh, naively thinking that it mm-hmm. might take a couple years, naively thinking that we mostly had the, the financial resources between the three of us to to do it. And uh, it was a long project and I could spend hours talking about that, but to make a, a fairly uh, long experience and difficult experience short, basically we ended up spending five years um, building the hotel. Uh, we had a lot of challenges along the way, uh, team that we hired to manage the project, uh, didn't do a very good job. We had massive budget overruns. We had to pause the construction at one point for several months. We nearly uh, went out of business several times before we were in business. And um, and it was a challenge. But in the end, we we raised over $4 million to, wow. to build that hotel. Um, and we opened the doors just a year ago, just over a year ago right now. So the 1st of December, 2019. Wow. Uh, the first couple months were... Not as uh, we did, not as full as we'd hoped, mm-hmm. but we were also getting a steady, you know, stream of clients, and we were on our way to having a really good month in March of last <laughs> year, uh, and you know, potentially having uh, our income, you know, for the first time, mostly cover the expenses of at least the operating expenses, um, and then COVID hit, and we had to shut the hotel back down, and. I had been mostly living off of savings since I left UNICEF. I had some consulting jobs uh, with UNICEF that had brought in some money, had been paid on and off for the hotel. But because of the financial challenges that we'd gone through, anytime there was a financial problem, my partner and I, who were employed by the business, were the first to not pay ourselves and then Mm -hmm. to 
pay things out of pocket. So um, for the previous couple of years, uh, I'd paid more out of pocket than I took in in income. And I, with a daughter and planning to grow our family, I knew that I had to do something different. So Mm -hmm. I, uh, even before COVID hit, I was already making some moves to start a, you know, some kind of a side gig as a digital marketer. And then when, when COVID happened, it kind of made clear to me that if we were, even if the hotel survives, and we actually had another business as well. We started a a bespoke travel agency as well Mm -hmm. along uh, the way. And this was supposed to be the year that we started getting some return on the investment mm-hmm. uh, on the in the travel agency. But the travel agency ended up having to bail out the hotel for a while, and then uh, has also struggled throughout this year because it lost all of its clients. And so um, I knew that if those businesses survived, it would be another couple of years before I got any financial return out of them, and I couldn't wait that much longer. So mm-hmm. I had to start a new thing, and I enjoyed digital marketing. It was something I'd started to do as part of the hotel. And it seemed like a good opportunity because it's something that you can get paid well doing and you can do it remotely. So the fact that I mm-hmm. live here in Colombia didn't impact my ability to do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the path I started on and got into the world of learning about sales funnels and agency and, and trying to... This whole year has been about how do I create my business the way that makes sense for me so that it's something that I enjoy doing that doesn't take, you know, I don't want to, I just spent five years giving 80 hours a week and every ounce of energy to mm-hmm. something um, that fortunately worked out in one way. The hotel is open again now. It's successful, but I'm not really involved in it anymore because, you know, my partners have taken over and I, and I have to focus on what will bring in mm-hmm. money today for my family. So um, that's what I've been doing. It's been a really interesting journey over this past year. Met a lot of interesting new people. I've taken tons of courses and masterminds. And I've been, uh, you know, subject to a lot of shiny object syndrome. Uh, <laughs> I love to learn. I love to, to get new things. And, and so that's also been part of my journey is, is slowly figuring out how I can focus what I'm doing to build the right assets so that I can start off next year and be very focused and actually accomplish the goals that I had hoped I would have already achieved this year. That's amazing. This year has definitely been a turning point for a lot of people. So it's good to hear that things are looking good. And when you were younger, what did you want to be and how did that grow into what you are doing today? You know, as I, as I mentioned, I grew up in a middle-class blue-collar family. I, um, I didn't have any other ideas about what I could be except an employee of some kind. So, you know, my, my earliest memory of what I wanted to be when I was older was Indiana Jones, of course. Uh, you know, a child of the 80s, you know, I, I remember digging holes in my dog's pen behind the barn uh, to practice being an archaeologist. And when I went to college, I, I started off thinking that I would be a professor or, you know, I loved history. So something along those lines. And uh, but what really one of the challenges that I've always had in my life um, is the fact that I've never had a clear passion or goal about what I want to do or who I want to serve or how I want to do something. Um, one of the few things that I've, has been consistent throughout my life is a love of travel. Uh, when I was uh, young and as a teenager, I had an opportunity to go abroad for the first time. And that kind of sparked a love of travel, which was what led me to do Peace Corps after college. And then to have, you know, luckily with UNICEF, I had other opportunities. And, and now, you know, the, the choices I've made have, have allowed me to experience a lot of the world in a way that most people don't get to. So 
one of the things that I had to learn in my 20s especially was how do I how do I learn to be okay with not knowing what I want to do when I grow up? And I'm <laughs> in my 40s now, and I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Um, I change. And I've, like, I, I've gone through several major shifts in my life, and what I'm doing now is interesting, and I hope to have a big impact. Um, but I don't know that, you know, it's always been difficult for me to say, five years from now, this is where I'm going to be. This is what I want to do. Um, because at any point in my life, if I had said that, what I ended up doing in my life would have looked nothing like like what I had expected. Right. And having those expectations might have prevented me from seeing the opportunities that came up. So, uh, you know, I my whole my whole work with software, for example, was was a very random occurrence. I went back after I'd finished my I did my master's degree. Uh, I had left UNICEF for a while. And I wanted to have lunch one day with a friend uh, who was still working at UNICEF and it happened to be a rainy day. So we had lunch indoors in the cafeteria and I ran into an old boss and she had an opportunity for me uh, on a project. Um, and that opportunity, that led me down the path that took me through eight years of working on software to Thailand, <laughs> to Nepal. And it was because it was raining that day. Um, I have no idea what my life would be like if, if that day had been a beautiful sunny day and we'd gone to have lunch outside. So it's the butterfly I, effect. Exactly. So <laughs> um, how did it morph into what I'm doing today? One it was a very deliberate decision when I was 21 to do my best to live my life in a way that I would not have regrets when I got older. I was very mm -hmm. influenced by Thoreau and Walden uh, in college and this idea of, of living, you know, not coming to the end of your life and realizing that you haven't truly lived. And so when I joined Peace Corps, that was my motivation. I, I told myself, I deliberately told me, specifically told myself, I do not want to wake up at 40 and realize that I didn't live the life that I wanted to live. Mm -hmm. And I'm 41 now. And 40 is not what I expected because I mm -hmm. spent five years on a project that didn't provide the return that I expected. And, and financially, a lot of things are a challenge for me in a different way than I had hoped or expected at this age. But I can truly say that I've taken advantage of the opportunities that have come up. I've, I've not let fear, and there's been a lot of fear along the way, dictate how I live my life. I've made myself do the things that were scary and that I was afraid of a lot of times because they were scary and I was afraid of them. And I knew and I believed and I believe that that's the only way to live is to just take life head on. And it's not always going to work out the way you hope or expect, but it's better than being a passive bystander. That's perfect advice. I feel like we hear that a lot more, especially now that you can't be stuck in the same job that you decided on in high school. So people grow mm -hmm. over the years exactly. for sure. So I guess that's perfect segue into our next question. If you had two specific pieces of advice for someone who wanted to begin on this digital marketing path that you have gone on, what would you say? Well, yeah, for anybody who's you know considering starting a business uh, or you know has had that inkling that, that that's what they want. I mean, my first piece of advice is don't build a hotel as your first business. <laughs> um, but by that, I mean, don't, don't take on too big of a project as your first entrepreneurial um, 
endeavor because it's really hard. Any, you know, being on your own, doing an entrepreneurial thing, it's, it's, a, it's a struggle. It's not easy. It's not overnight. Some people have that. They get the overnight success and, and they're, you know, they're phenomenons. Most people, that's not the path that we get to walk. And if you go down the road of, of starting a business that's capital intensive, um, that requires a big team to, to make happen, then the challenges are immense and your likelihood of being defeated by those challenges is it grows immensely. And so I would suggest for people to look for opportunities to create businesses that they can start more, more simply um, and get a, create a business model where the cash flow pays for the business itself. So, mm-hmm. you know, as I said, with a hotel, we spent, uh, in, in our case, uh, we had to raise over $4 million and we spent five years and the hotel has now been operational for a year. So we're now coming up on six years from the time that my partners and I had the idea. Mm-hmm. And we are still at least a year to two years away from any kind of financial return. Mm-hmm. So that is a long time to wait. And we only succeeded so far because of just pure determination, a bit of luck and investors who were willing to dig back into their pockets and help us survive uh, when when we otherwise would not have. Mm-hmm. So that's my first advice is, and that can be anything like, you know, freelancing, service-based business, coaching, consulting, um, something that you can get experience as a business person, as an entrepreneur, learn, build up experience, build up contacts, find out what you really like, and then potentially look at ways that you could, you know, transform that into something that requires capital or a physical structure establishment. That's uh, my first piece of advice. But beyond that, my biggest advice, and this is the advice I give to myself almost on a daily basis, (laughs) is destroy fear with action. Mm. Um, It's so easy to let the voices in your head overpower your will, your will to move. You, you get, you know, almost deer in the headlights kind of a, of, a, of, a, of a thing where you just don't even know what to do and you end up not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And there's so many things that could go wrong. Many of them will. There's so many things you don't know. And there's actually most times far more that you don't know. How do you say it? Far more that you don't know than you know. So you don't have any idea how much you don't know when you get started. And if you knew, you might not get started. So um, I have days where I wake up without the energy to do what I need to do, or I feel discouraged, or I feel like I see other people who've had more success and, you know, but maybe they're less, I feel like they're less uh, intelligent or they're less motivated or less mm-hmm. committed or less something than me, but they've had more success than me. And that's really easy to to do that because there's always people who are farther along than you in their journey or have had, you know, faster, quicker, better success than you. Um, but that those comparisons are killer. And so what I have always found is just get started uh, and, and take action, even if it's imperfect and the road, the path will open up before you as you go. And there will be opportunities that will come up that never would have appeared if you had waited uh, to try to see the the road completely before you start, because you never will see the whole road. Um, it's always maybe just a few steps ahead of you. You know the, the 
the path clears a little bit, the clouds dissipate, and you can see a little bit ahead and the next thing and the next thing. And that's, to me, the only way that I've experienced to, to have any kind of success is just to keep going. And when you have those doubts and those fears, to acknowledge them as real, to not try to hide them or downplay them. Um, I'm not a raw rock kind of a person who, mm-hmm. you know, does a whole lot of, you know, looking in the mirror and affirmation mm-hmm. kind of a thing. I think that affirmations can be important and they can potentially work in some ways, but not the way I see a lot of people do them. That doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but action does. Action leads to confidence and to into results. That's great advice. One of my favorite um, quotes is the only person you could compare yourself to is your previous self. So that's really, really good. And we often hear that self-employment and entrepreneurism can be lonely. And here at the Freed Fellowship, we're building a community to bridge that gap. So how have you previously handled with this entrepreneurial loneliness, especially moving around so much? Or is there something that you could improve on? What I've learned is there is a sense of of loneliness, even though I had partners. Um, that was obviously very helpful for a good portion of our time together. We, you know, could commiserate, we could uh, unload to each other, and we were all kind of going through the same things. It became a bit more challenging when I had a child because they they didn't, and so my my challenges became very different as an entrepreneur um, than theirs uh, because. The, my responsibilities changed, my priorities changed. But what I've always found is important um, that the best way to feel less lonely is to be willing to be vulnerable and open yourself up to to others. A lot of people, I think, go through life putting on a you know brave face, trying to pretend that they don't feel some of the things that they feel. Um, and especially in our culture, where you know we're especially you now with social media. You, you see on Instagram, you know, you look at these famous people's lives and all you see is how glamorous and wonderful mm-hmm. and beautiful it is. And, and that's mostly what they, they talk about. So it's even more so now than, than maybe before. And it's easy then to feel that the doubts that you have about yourself, about your abilities, you know, the fears, the worries that those that somehow are wrong or that you shouldn't have them or that they make you unsuccessful. And I think that the best way to not feel lonely is to seek out community of people who are doing the same kind of things that you are. So the Freed Fellowship or other, you know, places where you can find people who are going through a similar journey and being willing to be vulnerable with that group of people, not pretending that you're perfect when you're not and, you know, acting as if you uh, are not struggling if you are, because you'll find, I think that most people are from, you know, my own life. I have struggled with very serious depression for most of my life since I was a teenager. The first 10 years of that, I kept it completely inside and nobody would have known, uh, that that's something that I was dealing with. I was very externally successful and able to compartmentalize it and and hide it for most people, but it was something that was tearing me up inside. And when I finally admitted that I had a problem and started then admitting it more and more and more, the problem was still challenging to deal with. And I still spent years, you know, and I'm still dealing with it, Um, but it became a lot easier and it didn't seem as scary uh, when I knew that I could turn to other people and they could see me for who I was 
and that, oh, guess what? They actually still love me and care about <laughs> me and and are willing to uh, you know stay by my side even if I'm not always a happy-go-lucky person or whatever. So I think to me that's the best way to 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 deal with that is to seek out community, to not try to do it on your own. And and the best way to make a real community is is I to me is is being willing to be open and vulnerable and real and to share what you've learned and also then to be willing to learn from others and let them help you when you need it. That's awesome advice. It's good to see people with such good head on their shoulders these days still. It's awesome. Um, so it's, with such a crazy at-home life, I know this, especially this year, everybody working from home, kids, family, all that going on. Do you have any specific routines or rules that help you maintain a work-life balance? I am trying to do this better. Uh, <laughs> it's a challenge with a, a two-year-old running around um, because I, you know, I typically, I want her to, part of the reason that I enjoy working from home is that I can be part of her life and, and be there when she needs. Um, but it creates challenges uh, when she wants to play and be with me and I need to focus and do work. Uh, and my wife is also, you know, uh, starting her business and working from home. And, and so there are times when she needs to work and focus and I need to work and focus at the same time. Mm-hmm. And my plans uh, don't work out quite the way I want them to from the morning until the night. What I am been working to do is get up earlier, um, working to, you know, on uh, the habit of getting out of bed by 5 a.m. so Whoa. that I have a couple hours to focus and try to do work on my business. So trying to do biz- work that will grow my business first thing in the morning mm-hmm. so that if the rest of the day I get distracted or I, you know, know I need to you know, deliver for clients and do client work. Um, that at least in that day, I have done something that is building my business as a, as a, you know, as an asset, as a business. I don't succeed in that all days. Um, but that's what I've been trying to implement. And uh, ideally where I'm failing quite a lot is being done at a certain time of the day and kind of turning off the computer and going and, and really relaxing, enjoying time with my family. Um, it's really hard. That's the hard part about entrepreneurship mm-hmm. is that the work is kind of never done. There's always something you could be doing. Um, and you, you have to work really hard on that. And after six years, I still haven't figured out how to do it. Mm-hmm. Partly, uh, I tell myself it's partly because I haven't yet reached the financial success that I, I want to reach. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's stress financially. And, and, and once I get to a point, and this is my main goal for 2020 is to finally get to this point where financially I'm achieving some of the success that I want so that I can feel the luxury of, of relaxing and, and, you know, at six o'clock or whatever the time is, turning off my equipment and then going and being with my family. Um, but with a kid, it's very hard. And this is one thing that I think that a lot of times I don't see in the entrepreneurial space is although sometimes people talk about their kids, they don't often talk about how they actually deal with <laughs> the fact that they have these kids and, you know, especially if they're working from home, how they how they manage all that. So um, that's something that I have in my mind as a future maybe podcast of my own that <laughs> might focus on on that aspect of my experience. I can only imagine. I have no kids and it's hard enough to work as it is. <laughs> so much going on. So what is one resource outside of the Freed Fellowship 
that has helped you navigate the jump to entrepreneurship. It can be a book, a podcast, a person, a social media account, anything. I'm a podcast guy and a reading guy. I love both. Um, I would actually say there's three podcasts. It's hard to pick which one uh, that I have found really uh, helpful as I've gone down this journey. The first that I came across and listened to for several years was How I Built This. Uh, it used to be hosted by Guy Raz uh, from NPR. Now I'm not just as a different host. But their interviews with uh, successful entrepreneurs like Richard Branson and you know others who started very successful companies. And I, I always found that very... What I found uh, very helpful about that is that in 99% of those stories, they have gone through years of being on the edge of giving up and it not working and just had to keep going through grit and determination uh, until they reached success. And that was motivating to me a lot as I started on this journey and didn't have a lot of people who had this experience. So in a way, I kind of found my community uh, through that podcast mm-hmm. uh, by just listening to the stories of other entrepreneurs and realizing that what I was dealing with was a normal thing. And, and it was very uncommon for people to have success right away or the first time that mm-hmm. most people who've succeeded uh, well, you know, extensive, like big, bigly <laughs> in, 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 in entrepreneurship have failed several times or, or more than several times. Over the past year, um, a couple other podcasts that I've really started to listen to and that I've gotten a lot of value out, out of one is called Entrepreneurs on Fire by John Lee Dumas. It's a daily podcast. You'll never be able to listen to him all, but uh, he interviews entrepreneurs from, you know, and of all stripes and about all aspects of, of running their business. And it's, it's a tremendous education. Mm-hmm. Another one is uh, somebody who's turned into a mentor of mine. Uh, it's called Start From Zero in that podcast. Uh, Dane Maxwell interviews, he, he mentors, better to say, uh, people about who feel stuck in getting started in their online business. And he mm-hmm. kind of helps them unpack why they're stuck and what they should do next to to move forward. So I found all three of those to be really incredible resources that have helped me a lot. That's awesome. I have to check those out. Those sound great. What would you tell yourself five years ago? And what about five years from now? You can start with five years ago. So if I had a chance to see myself five years ago, I think I would tell myself to buckle up for a much more difficult ride than I expected it to be at that time. Uh, That was still five years ago. We were a year into the project, so it would have been still too late to tell myself, don't do it, <laughs> uh, which I'm not sure if I would have or not. You know, the experiences we have gained are, are ours, yes. however, whatever they've led to. Um, but I would probably tell myself to start a side hustle from my side hustle mm-hmm. so that I didn't have everything riding on one uh, big project uh, in the event that something like what happened did happen. Mm-hmm. Um Five years from now, uh, where do I see myself? Where do I want my business to be? This is coming back to that really difficult question. <laughs> I, uh, since I've never been good at that answer, um, and I've learned to live with it, I, I really can't say five years from now. What I can say is in a year or two, I want to have grown my business to the point where I live well off of it, um, where I can have my brother living well off of it so he can quit a job that he hates. Mm-hmm. Um, 
hopefully have a virtual assistant or two helping us deal with uh, some of the more routine tasks mm -hmm. and that I am able to provide real meaningful value to my clients, make a real impact in their lives and help them transform their businesses in a way that allows them to live the lives that they want to live and also to, you know, transform the lives of their clients. So that's my goal for the next year to two years down the road. Um, I would like to find a way to make an impact on people who have struggled with some of the things that I've struggled with through my life, um, depression and becoming a entrepreneur later in life and, you know, dealing with those things as a parent, uh, living in a foreign country, not quite sure what that looks like yet or what that mm -hmm. would entail. Um, but that's uh, kind of the thing that's stewing in the back of my head as, as hopefully where all of this is leading next. That's awesome, Nathan. Truly a jack of all trades. So my main question, the most important, what is your superpower? You can even have a superhero name. Wow. I can have a superhero name. Yes. Um, <laughs> My superpower is probably related to an ability to distill complex concepts and ideas into something that people can understand. Um, spent quite a lot of years doing, you know, as a teacher, English teacher, but I, I learned a lot about that. I've studied a lot, you know, philosophy, political science, history, a lot of complex topics technology and systems. I'm not a programmer. I don't want to be a programmer. Um, but I learned, you know, I worked at UNICEF that I had the ability to understand the technical side of things and things that were very complex and then turn that into training material and messaging that people who were not technical, who didn't understand those things could understand. And I did that a lot as a manager and a you know, CEO of my business uh, that we're doing the hotel on, teaching concepts around West, you know, I would say U.S. kind of concepts around time and time management and project management to Latinos, which mm -hmm. was a, <laughs> quite a challenge. Um, when I worked at UNICEF, uh, my last job, I, I worked with the offices in South Asia to streamline process management process uh, processes. And so I had to go to countries like India and try to convince them that they didn't need such complex processes, but could do things much more simply. Um, and so I think that ability to, uh, to understand those complexities and, and find a way to help them uh, be more digestible and by, digestible by people from a variety of backgrounds that are quite different from mine mm -hmm. is something that I've learned uh, to do in my life. I don't know what my superhero <laughs> name would be for that. Mr. Mr. Simpli Simplify, maybe. <laughs> uh, not a very good one, but that's the only one that comes to my mind. <laughs> no, this is awesome. And lucky for you, we'll be checking up on you, you and your business in a few months. So you can come back with your superhero name then. Until then, <laughs> where can our audience find you? Social media, a website, email, shout it out. So uh, you can go to my website, NathanRogers.com. That's R-O-D-G-E-R-S.com. And you can learn more about me and there's links there to, to where you know, my social media, which is mainly right now, LinkedIn. Awesome, Nathan. This has been so great. We can't wait to catch up on you and see where you're at in a few months. Yeah, thank you very much, Jackie. It's been a pleasure. Here at the Freed Fellowship, we are building a community of talented individuals ready to make theirs and others' business dreams come true. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you guys next time as we interview another fellow team member. 
And until then, don't forget to free your mind, free your media.